Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Oh, yes, indeed. It is a Friday 45 degrees here in Milwaukee, at least on this side of town. It's only going to get warmer. It is Easter Sunday. The time to beat. I'm laying this out as a challenge to all of you. The time to beat, 4 minutes and 13 seconds. 4 minutes and 13 seconds. That is my all-time best. Find the hidden Easter basket time. So let that be a challenge to all of you. And I'm not here Monday. Jeff will be back on Monday. So... Um, not going to be able to circle back, but in, you know, just just put this away, put this in the in the back of your head. Four minutes, thirteen seconds. That's the time to beat. I'm laying that down as a challenge to all of you on Sunday morning. Do people still do that? Do, do people still hide Easter baskets for the kids? Do they still hide Easter eggs? We used to do both, and it was it was fun. And then every every couple of years, there was always like one Easter egg that you never you never did find. And so, I don't know, maybe a half hour, hour later, suddenly you lose interest. And let's just start eating candy and doing what we're going to do. And then, lo and behold, Monday, Tuesday, you're putting your shoes on and, oh, mom or dad hit an egg in my, sh- in, in, in the, my sneaker. And now you find it on Monday morning when you're going back to school. Every once in a while that happened. Any good Easter egg, Easter basket memories for uh, the Pachinsky household? Did you guys have an Easter egg roll? Was it like the East Lawn of the White House for you guys? An Easter egg roll? I don't know what that what that is. What the egg? Yeah, not an egg roll. That, you know, you 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 put it out on the front lawn and you. It's like a competition. You roll the egg. It's it's. They do it on the East Lawn. Or is that a hunt? Maybe I'm combining a hunt and a roll on the same one. At any rate, do you have any good stories? No, but I do remember my parents. <laughs> mostly because I have a sibling that's eight years younger than I am, but through high school. Hiding Easter baskets. We never did the hiding eggs outdoors or anything. I think we did that once with my grandparents, and it did not. It didn't hit it off. So yeah, <laughs> we stuck to the baskets. Now here it is. I was right. You had me questioning myself, Kyle. Egg rolling or an Easter egg space roll, not an egg roll, is a traditional game played with eggs at Easter. Uh, starting in 1835. Oh gosh, this is too long of an entry. I don't have time for this. But in the U.S., at the White House, every Easter Monday for kids 13 and younger, it's hosted by parents. Kids push an egg through the grass with a long-handled spoon. It's like a race. Surrounding events include appearances by the Easter Bunny, speeches, a book reading by the cabinet secretaries. Oh, that sounds exciting. Sounds about as exciting as an egg roll, if you ask me. No. Oh, come on. You want to sit there and hear the Secretary of Transportation read you a story? Or do you want to push an egg and have a competition? <laughs> Boring. Anyway. Okay. So it is an egg roll. That's what I thought. Have it on your own front lawn this year. People are saying something. Four minutes and 13 seconds is the time to beat. Okay. Um, I don't know if Steve did this. I know we talked about opening day. But... Somebody says, already I've not found boiled Easter eggs in the house until Christmas. Does not smell if the shell is not cracked. Yeah, some people will hide, like, actual colored boiled eggs. I guess I was talking about the 
the plastic ones that you break in half and there's a little, little prize or a piece of candy. That's what we always hid. We never hid real Easter eggs. Never, ever, ever. My brother-in-law would get up super early to hide the baskets. Uh, they're harder to find for his siblings. So you, you, he would rehide them? Interesting. Uh, Ruben from um, Oneida says, uh, The Easter Bunny never hid the baskets in California, but he did hide the eggs. And a couple times he also brought a pool. One year we didn't find the last egg until the 4th of July. <laughs> It's the gift that keeps on giving. So opening day was yesterday, and I I realized there were only you know well, basically twelve thousand of you that were at the game. But I I wasn't. I need to know how it went specifically. I need to know what was going on in the parking lots. How how serious were the tailgate police? How how strict were they? Now, somebody did tell me that there were no porta johns in the parking lot for obvious reasons. So if you don't have a porta john in the parking lot, not that that's going to stop everybody, but it does dissuade you from spending more time than you otherwise would in imbibing for a little bit. 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The first Milwaukee Brewers game during a pandemic is in the books. I'm hoping that there are at least a few of you out there listening right now, maybe not, 12,000, we have more than 12,000 people listening right now at any given moment on this show. But what what was good? What did you like? What didn't you like? Was it a little bit easier than you were imagining? How did it stack up with what you thought this was going to be? The Brewers had never done anything like this they never had to do anything like this before did they pull it off were there lines were there enough uh, hand sanitation uh, stations i want to know how the brewers did with yesterday's opening day and specifically what was it that happened or didn't happen in the parking lots did you see anybody that pulled a grill out only to have what a member of the tailgate police come over and go, dut, 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 put that back in the trunk. Don't you light those charcoals? Don't open that beer. Don't you open that beer. I did assume that if you're drinking in your car, you've parked, and then you and your buddy sit there, pop a cold one and drink, can they really stop you from doing that in the sanctity, quote unquote, of your own vehicle? I, I, I don't know. It is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. I do have a couple of observations that I made, not being there, but I made the observations uh, nonetheless, but there's nothing better than getting your first-hand accounts. So, anybody out there, I just, I want to talk to you if you were at the ball game yesterday. Was it more fun than you expected? Was it a bigger nuisance than you thought? Were you there and other than having to wear a mask, thought, you know what? Not bad at all. Not bad at all. 855-616-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It is Friday. And I'm Scott Warrison for Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, nobody listening right now was at the game. That's fine. That's fine. A um, couple of texts that are a little bit helpful here, though. 
Somebody saying uh, they saw an interview on television last night with um, a guy who was told by parking lot security that you could not drink outside. So he insisted. So and if he consisted. Uh, and if he insisted on continuing to drink, he should do it inside his car. So maybe that was the artificial barrier. If you're going to drink, do it in your car. Texter says it was probably so. They were there. It was probably the strangest feeling, uh, the strangest feeling I've ever had on opening day. Parking lots were empty. Yeah, that would look weird. Only twelve thousand people with all those spots. There was not the smell of burgers and brats being grilled. No one was playing catch or bags. It seemed that people just obeyed the rules. All right. So apparently, good job. Good on all of you to uh, to perform as well as you did yesterday as a fan at uh, Miller Park. I, I do know, remember we said this on Wednesday or Tuesday, when we realized that the sausage race was going to be virtual. They didn't have the sausages on the field. And I talked to a buddy who was at the game, and he said that did not sit well with the 12,000 people. There were some, uh, I don't know if there were boos, but people were upset when the, was it the middle of the sixth or the end of the sixth, whenever they do it, that the time came for the race and everything was up on the on the video board, and people were upset. And I I... I I had a hard time wrapping my mind around you can't put five casings, sausage casings, and have them run around the field. And uh, I guess the tip of the cap to Adam McAlvey, who covers the Brewers for MLB.com, and he explained that Major League Baseball during this pandemic mandates, dictates, determines who gets field access right now because of COVID and who more importantly, does not get field access. So the access to the on-field is extremely tight, like extremely tight. I don't even know if they're let, I'm I'm not for sure, but I don't even know that they allowed, I don't think they did, media members to stand on the field. You know, normally you get the the TV guys, the Lance Allens, the Tim Van Vorens, the Dan Needles. They're doing their live shots from down the first baseline, standing there in the dirt along the warning track. None of that. So it wasn't the Brewers that mandated the sausages be virtual only to begin the year. It was the Major League uh, Baseball rules right now that dictate who gets field access because if you're on the field there's a chance you could come in contact with a player so that is why for those of you who are upset don't blame the brewers it's just an mlb it's still an mlb covid19 restriction i gotta find some fine print on the on the rules on that because i swear i was watching highlights last night this morning and uh the philadelphia phillies they have the the Philadelphia Philly, right? The Philly fanatic was on the field. He was on the well. He was on a golf cart on the field. Really? So I wonder. Huh. I mean, it's it's an, it's an uncommon thing to see Bernie Brewer on the field in the stadium. You know, he's always in the chalet or he's walking around the stadium itself. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what 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 the policy is on that because I mean, the Philly fanatic was driving around doing his thing. Okay, here's what McCalvey said. Booing the this is his reaction. Booing the sausage race today may have may just have been opening day fun because who could seriously care about running mascots after the year we endured? Come on, Adam, lighten up a little bit. Uh, but just in case you're really actually, I can't believe I'm tweeting this mad. Here's why it was. 
like last year, to set foot on the field, you have to have Tier 1 or Tier 2 status and be part of MLB's regular COVID testing. The idea is to limit the number of people hanging around to a bare minimum and keep the game going. Medical staff, PR folks, clubhouse, uh, you know, uh, attendees or, or um, what, grounds crew, things like that. Um, they say those tiered slots were by design in severe short supply. For example, even Bob Euchre did not get one of those tier one slots uh, last year. He did this year. Um, McKelvey says, unfortunately, cased, meeting, cased meats did not make the cut for field level access yet. Try not to get salty about it. They will be back. But to your point, so does that mean the Philly Fanatic clearly has tier one access? Maybe the Philly, how do you know, Kyle, the Philly Fanatic has not been vaccinated? Yeah, and the F- Fanatic was wearing a mask on the field, looking good. So doing his thing, though. We saw him, hmm. or I saw him. You need to look at, if you, you can do this. I have faith in you. By three o'clock, I need an answer. You need to fi- find an answer. Maybe somebody in Philadelphia tweeted it out or whatever, but uh, we could have a budding controversy. I mean, I assume Bernie Brewer was not on the field yesterday. He was up at his little chalet. No, I know it's a chalet, but I'm... All right. That's interesting, Kyle. You may have uh, stumbled upon a Major League Baseball controversy. The best opening day audio that I have heard, well, other than Bob Euchre <laughs> calling Steve a kid. That was, that was priceless. The best... Opening day related audio, courtesy of the folks in Cleveland, Ohio. Have you heard this? Have you seen this video? Oh, it's it's worth it's worth waiting through this short little break. I promise you that. The, what, every team has like a post game show. Maybe it's on the radio. Maybe it's on television. Cleveland has a post game show that is televised. And they take your calls. It would be like if Matt Pauley in Brewers Extra Innings was on TV, but they still took your calls, right? Wait till you hear what unfolded on live television yesterday. Oh, it's it's a gem. That's next. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay. Why am I playing this audio from Cleveland, Ohio? Because... It exemplifies so much that I love about this uh, radio business, but it also is a prime example of one of the one of the themes after every opening day is the overreaction, right? Oh man, you 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 get upset over all these things that happen in the game one of one sixty two and 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 you rant and you vent and things like that. This is Bruce. Drennan, Bruce Drennan, he is uh, the post-game host on uh, Bally's, by the way, what do you think of Bally's? What, what did you think of that production? Bally Sports Ohio, formerly Fox Sports Ohio. This is Bruce Drennan, the Cleveland Indians uh, lost to the Detroit Tigers. This is the best audio you will hear anywhere today. He is taking a call regarding one of the players for the Cleveland Indians. You don't have to know much about Cleveland Indians baseball to get a laugh out of this. This is a post-game show, TV show, but they take telephone calls. (laughs) Oh, it's good stuff. You can just simply pitch around Ramirez, keep walking him, don't give him anything to hit, 
The next guy, the good pitch is down the middle. He won't swing at, but the ball is down around his ankles. He hits the shortstop into a double play. This has been going on for two years. Here we right. go. Uh, I guess you missed a lot of the games that Reyes hit in the clutch last year, huh? No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know baseball. I'm you're not the, an idiot. No, you are an idiot. Listen, no, you're going to tell me you are judging. You don't know anything. You don't know squat, you stupid idiot. You're going to tell me you're going to make a judgment on the season after one game in 30-degree weather that proves what an ignoramus you are. Get off our show. Fair weather idiot. All right, we're going to move on here. 844-289-1421. Didn't even have the courtesy to call me by my name. I've got a few names I like to call it. <laughs> That's so great. I want to hear Matt Pauly do that before the year's over, huh? I want to hear our very own post-game guy, Matt Pauly on Brewers Extra Innings is going off. Oh, my gosh. I told you it'd be worth it. I told you it would be good. No, don't do that, because I know many of you uh, who call in and listen to that show. You're smarter than that Cleveland fan, right? <laughs> Pauly going off like that. That, again, uh, and there's video of it, because like I said, it was a, a TV post-game show. Bruce Drennan. You're an idiot about baseball. And he's still got like 161 more post-game shows to do. Oh, man. All right. It is. So that is my favorite audio, and it will be the best audio you hear all day. And other than Euchre calling Scafidi, how you doing, kid? <laughs> that was my favorite audio. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we are hmm, we're learning a little bit more. Uh, reports are that uh, someone rammed a vehicle into at least two Capitol Hill police officers. And suspect is now in custody. Both officers are injured. That is how CNN is reporting it, and we'll have an update here. Hmm, but it, it seems as if the, the 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 threat that potentially was still in existence hmm, is no longer over, which is good, but a rather alarming situation there in the Capitol or outside the Capitol in Washington D.C. All right, here here's what happened on Wednesday, and I I would like I feel as if there's a double standard being afforded Tiger Woods that you, Kyle, or, or would not have gotten, that I would not have gotten, that all of you would not have received by police, by law enforcement. The uh, L.A. County Sheriff's Office has, in essence, ended its investigation into the Tiger Woods crash back on February 23rd. Okay, Detectives obtained a search warrant uh, for the data recorder in his car, the black box, which I didn't realize vehicles have, but I suppose in this day and age, technology as it is. Um, the L.A. County Sheriff's Office would not say on Wednesday what data had been found in the black box. Hmm. However, however, 
The sheriff said, a cause has been determined. The investigation has concluded. He told that uh, to the Associated Press on Wednesday. So the investigation is over. But the sheriff claimed investigators need permission from Woods, who is notoriously very private. His yacht is named Privacy, by the way. I didn't know that. The uh, sheriff claimed investigators need permission from Woods to release information about the crash. We have reached out to Tiger Woods and his personnel. There are some privacy issues on releasing information on the investigation, so we're going to ask them if they waive the privacy, and then we will be able to do a full release on all the information regarding the accident. We have all the contents of the black box. We've got everything. It's completed, signed, sealed, and delivered. However, we cannot release it without the permission of the people in the collision. Now, again, the guy who normally sits in this stair, in this chair during this time slot is a lawyer. I am not. I assume that that's by law. They're within their rights to do that. However, I've never... I have never heard of this happening before. Now, now, I could understand if they want to redact parts, maybe, certain parts of the uh, investigation or the, the, um, yeah, the, the report, the investigation report. Maybe you need to redact certain things that uh, would violate uh, HIPAA privacy rights. If it was... We don't know. I'm just left to speculate because you are too. If it if it's if it was a medical situation, could it not just be reported as such? He had a medical emergency. It was a medical emergency, and then you leave it at that. You don't get into the details after that. But we're getting nothing now. When I when I saw this on Wednesday, I went, "What? What?" Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Am I just being a nosy Nora here? Because the double standard is what gets me. And I'm not alone. They spoke to ESPN's, this is ESPN's report. They spoke to a professor at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice. He's a retired NYPD sergeant. His name is Joseph uh, Giacoloni. He has criticized the sheriff's response to the Woods incident from the start. He says, I don't think I've ever seen a department ever ask for permission like that what happens if his lawyers say no you cannot send it out now and then where does that leave us giacoloni said it's unlikely that deputies would have sought the permission of non-celebrity victims in similar crashes to release information and that's the part that gets under my skin if it's not tiger woods and it's Joseph Woods, whatever, who has the very same accident, who has the very same crash, are they consulting his lawyers as to whether or not the investigation report should be released? Giacoloni is skeptical. Goes on to say, if the sheriff's hesitancy stemmed from a potential medical episode behind the wheel, which I just kind of said, then authorities could simply say, you know what, it was a medical emergency, and you don't give any more details. I don't think they would have asked any family member of us if they can come out with it, he said. 
Am I just being nosy? Scott, shut up. Butt out. None of your business. But again, it's a double standard at play. There's a double standard. I have next to uh, no doubt that they're releasing the information if it's Scott Warris that goes off the road and hits the tree and rolls over and whatnot. I don't think they're coming to me and my legal team and saying, do you mind if we release this information? Hmm? 855-616-1620. It is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Uh, the latest news here in Washington, D.C. is that one person has been shot. That is uh, reportedly the the driver of the car that uh, rammed into a couple of Capitol Police officers just outside uh, the Capitol building there in Washington, D.C. So we're going to get an update here in about 13 minutes, so keep it right here, and we'll give you the very latest. Uh, both those officers reportedly uh, have been injured and are getting medical treatment. Remember, there's still that barricade or that fencing barricade that surrounds the entire Capitol, and it's been that way since, well, the the, the night of January 6th, the morning of the 7th. Um, some people have criticized it. Others have said, hey, this is uh, the way it's going to have to be for a while, and not sure if it was an accident. I, I, I don't know. Still a little bit early in the investigation phase, but we'll get an update here in about 12 minutes now. Okay, speaking of investigation, so... They're not going to release, unless Tiger Woods says it's okay, they're not going to release the uh, report. The report's done. The investigation of the Woods crash is over. It's, it's, it's to be read, but we're not going to read it. And some, smarter than I, there's plenty of people like that, Scott, some, smarter than I, are saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. You're claiming privacy rights for Tiger Woods, but you could still release this and keep his privacy intact. Whereas if you or I got into a similar crash, there's no way they're going to ask, uh, is it okay, uh, Mr. Pachinski, if we uh, you know, keep the investigation under wraps? Or I mean, is it okay if we release it? No, no, no. I smell double standard, and I'm not alone. 855-616-1620. Hey, Allie, how are you? Allie and Brown Deer. I'm doing great. Thank you. How I don't know, you? Allie. I'm skeptical on this one. I, I I don't know if you or I are getting in an accident if we're going to be afforded this luxury. Well, I kind of believe that maybe he was pleasuring himself, and that's what caused the accident, and that would be a really good thing to keep quiet. <laughs> I <laughs> I had not considered that. I, I, uh, I, okay. What? Um, all right, Allie. Did I make you speechless? No, I'm, speechless. I'm. I'm. Sounds are coming out of my mouth. I don't know if it's coherent words right now, but there, there are, there are sounds <laughs> coming out of my mouth. So, even if he were doing that, Allie, <laughs> that still does not mean there's not a double standard. Hey, if you did that, I don't care if it's embarrassing. It caused an accident. Why does he get afforded the option to tell investigators, release or don't release the report, when they're probably not asking us that same question? That's what bothers me. Yeah, well, they wouldn't ask us, 
and have it be on the news. I mean, they may have asked us, and we're not on the news. Tiger Woods is. No, they're not asking us. All right, Allie. Although now yeah. you've now now you've put out a theory there that I don't know if I'm going to be able to shake for the rest of the show. I don't know if I should thank you for that or not. <laughs> Gianni, do you have any theories on what he was doing in the van? No, stop it, stop it. <laughs> Gianni, what do you make of this double standard? My goodness, Scott. <laughs> it's amazing what crewing Cruyant thoughts and ideas come over the airwaves. Follow that. I'm shocked. Follow, I am just shocked. Follow that one, Gianni. Follow that. <laughs> I, listen, listen, Scott. I, I, I'm surprised. Come on. Um, you, you don't. You just don't get it. it we're, we're talking about Tiger Woods here. Now, if there were drugs or alcohol or even abuse of prescription meds, Tiger Woods' reputation would be further sullied. And we just can't have that in the United States. We love our athletes and our celebrities. I mean, as Americans, we just have to give him a pass because we love him. He's Tiger Woods. <sighs> Touche. Thank you, Gianni. Hmm. Dave and Racine. Hey, Dave, what's your take on this? I think there's a double standard at play, and I think that's at the heart of, of what bothers me about. Am I a little nosy? Sure. What the heck? We all are, right? We all are a little, uh, you know, let's check TMZ to see what the latest details are. But there's a, there, there's a bigger problem, and it's the double standard, I think, uh, Dave. I was telling your screener, my father was just involved in a, a private property accident where he was on private property and had a blackout. He's 93 years old. He went through a garage, his garage, and without any information from us it ends up on the front page of the journal times and so if you want to talk about and my father has an impeccable reputation in town and has done good things his whole life so now all of a sudden we're, we're not worried about his reputation but we're worried about tiger woods it's a definite hmm. double standard so your dad's accident um was on was published and and the investigation results and and the details were published there in a newspaper in Racine. There was really the investigations ongoing, but there was no investigation. It was just this uh, sensationalism on the front page. There's a picture of my dad's car where it ended up, and you know it well, didn't list his name. Yeah, that's the difference. Here's I'll be curious. Now here will be the real litmus test, Dave. Once the investigation is done, because I think based on what you're saying, I would kind of equate it to the day of when we did see the photographs of Tiger Woods' car and the helicopter was there and the reporters were on the ground. I, I would make I would say that that is a little more comparable to what you've experienced based on having just it be in the media. Now, the question will be, Dave, when the law when law enforcement there in Racine is done with their investigation into the crash or into the accident rather, will they call your dad up? Will they call your family and ask for permission to publish it? so that it's accessible by the public, so that if the Journal Times, you mentioned, the Journal Times follows up and requests mm -hmm. the results of the completed investigation, they will be given it to them, uh, it will be given to them or not, based on what you and your family have requested. You think that's going to happen? No, mm -hmm. I don't. Because I will look at it from the standpoint of it's public record, it's public knowledge. Right. Uh, 
it's it's you know public asset access. Mm. So it's interesting, Dave. I double standard. I'm with you, man. I got to go. Thanks for the call. That'll be an interesting case to track as well. Hmm. Now, <laughs> the other question that should be asked: Will we ever learn? Will we ever learn? Even if the Tiger Woods, I'll be shocked at this point if Tiger Woods says. Uh, gives permission to release the results of the investigation, right? That doesn't mean we're not going to find out about it one of these days, right? Doesn't this also just add to the possibility of it being leaked? Uh, See, I think there's something to be said for just release it, redact what you have to redact. If it was a medical situation or a medical emergency, then say that and don't go into any other further detail. If it's, well, if it's Allie's explanation, then... I'm not sure what you redact. Look, it's Tiger Woods. He's got guys who can spin things and PR people up to wazoo. But we'll find out eventually. We will. But it's going to be from ESPN or it's going to be from TMZ, right? Or uh, some sort of paparazzi-based outlet. And that might reflect a lot worse on Tiger Woods than... If this were just handled normally, like a normal person, like you or like me. Next hour, what does uh, the Matt Gate situation and the Deshaun Watson situation mean for us? A lesson is there. And um, April Fools yesterday came across a column. Not funny. Not funny at all. We'll get to that in the one o'clock hour. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Wallace. Hey, ABC News has just reported that the driver of the vehicle is uh, dead. Right? ABC has confirmed that the driver of this vehicle that has rammed into um, the barricade outside the Capitol, hitting what, two Capitol Hill officers, one of them was uh, medevaced to a nearby hospital. The driver of the car was uh, shot at and killed. I don't know if they died by the impact or the bullet or what, but the driver is dead, and we'll get another update from ABC News at one thirty. All right? Yes, lost in yesterday's opening day pomp and the pageantry, the P and the P, as we call the P and the P, the pomp and the pageantry. Lost in it, April Fool's Day. Are you a big April Fool's guy? No. There's a, I was going to say there's an unwritten rule in radio, but I think it's it's been written, actually, that, uh, look, when you work in, when you work in the media, when you work in radio, you really got to be careful as far as doing some sort of on-air hijinks. It's one thing if I play a joke on you, Kyle, off the air. But, you you know, to do something on the air, it it can call into question just the credibility. Not everybody knows it's a joke. And there's plenty more examples of stations that have gotten in trouble for an April Fool's joke than uh, have put one out there that, oh, isn't that clever? And everybody liked it. Because the odds are there's at least one person out there that took it as real and then they're upset. Next thing you know, they're filing a lawsuit with the FCC or a, a, you know, a violation, a grievance with the FCC and then we're in trouble. Any good, your best April Fool's, anything from your childhood? Does anybody ever really get you good back in the day in grade school or high school or, or did you ever get anybody? No, not off the top of my head. Okay. I can't think of anything, but I was going to say that... Um, 
us being, you know, working in breaking news, it's always a bad idea to, yeah. to toy around with something like that. But I think there are some media groups that do it really, really well. Uh, and I think like on Milwaukee, mm-hmm. they, they're just hilarious. I, right. I, I always enjoy it. There are certain online platforms that can do it and get away with it. JS Online, probably not. If you are a newspaper, you probably want to avoid it. But there are websites, like you say, on Milwaukee always devotes the day to a bunch of crazy stories in the morning. Well, this was sent to me, and I read the headline, and I went, oh, yes. And then, now, if you remember, last week, last week, we learned that the Milwaukee monstrosity, that's the house formerly owned and built by Tony Zielinski right there on, is that, uh, is that Superior? Superior Street, yeah. That had been sold. He put it up, and it was sold. Sold for, uh, what was it? It was just like, just was it 1.6? I think it was $1.6 million. Yeah, $1.63 million. It was sold last week. Now, I talked about this on the night show. I mentioned it was purchased by a 36-year-old associate portfolio manager for the special global equity team at Wells Fargo Asset Management. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds like he's loaded. And Shane Zweck is his name, and he's probably loaded. But we said, what's the smartest thing Shane Zweck could do? The smartest thing Mr. Zweck could do, now don't bake cookies and go door-to-door and befriend yourself to the neighbors, because the problem Shane Zweck is going to run into is the minute... He moves in. He is now the most hated guy on the block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They may still be upset at the now departed Tony Zielinski who built this thing. But it's the new owner, which is why I would not have wanted this house. First of all, it's just not my style. It's ugly to me. I would not have wanted the house because now I'm, I am public enemy number one on the block. So Shane Zweck, the first thing you could do you apparently have the money, level it and build something that is in keeping with the neighbors, in keeping with the size and scope of the surrounding houses so that it fits in again. That's what I said last week. So when I see this headline sent to me by an unknown colleague of mine at Radio City, I got my hopes up. Headline reads, Buyer of Milwaukee Monstrosity, to raise and build updated replica of former house. I thought, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is outstanding. I'm so glad. I'm so glad they're going to do this. And then I read the first paragraph, Kyle. This was courtesy of the uh, the Bayview Compass. 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 Wow. Emphasis on the right syllable, Wars. The Bayview Compass, or Compass, it's like a little local website, right? Every city maybe has their own little, it's like the little newspaper, the little local community newspaper website. The Compass has confirmed that, here's the first paragraph, that country slash folk legend Wilhelmina Eula Upton, best known for fringe hits such as I Ran Out of Tiles for My Mosaic Project, and Tangles in My Hair, has purchased former alderman Tony Zielinski's recently built 6,000-square-foot ultra-modern house. 
And I went, wait a minute. So I, I read the headline. The buyer is going to raise and then build an updated replica. This is great news. Then I read the first paragraph. Then I read the second paragraph. Upton, who wrote a memoir about touring the United States for two years in a tiny house, seems like the least likely candidate to buy a 40-foot-tall modernist luxury estate. She also owns stock in a llama farm. And some might recognize her surname from a popular plant-based foods company specializing in uh, jackfruit products. She's an heir to the business. And I'm going, wait a minute. She? I thought it was a guy. I couldn't remember his name offhand, but I, I thought it was a guy. Her plans are to raise what's become dubbed as the Milwaukee Monstrosity and replace it with an updated replica of the 1921 two-story colonial that previously occupied the property. Huh. Upton has a personal attachment to the now defunct colonial house. She grew up in Bayview, and her childhood friend's grandmother lived in the house. I spent many years in the house. We'd sit on the living room floor and play backgammon, the only board game she had in the house, and I became pretty good at it. We listened to WOKY on the radio, which instilled in me a love of music. During the summer, we'd go across the street to Bayview Park and play kickball. Now I'm going, all right. We lost a lot of balls after they were kicked over the bluff. They're probably still stuck in the brush, dirty and deflated. Hey, that's a good song title. <laughs> okay, it's a, it's an April Fool's joke, and I didn't like it. I don't like it. This is an April Fool's joke by the folks at the Bayview Compass, and they got me for a moment. They got my colleague even more. I'll keep the name uh, redacted during this show today. But it's bad. I don't like it. You know why? Because in the headline, in essence... You have given people what they want. And then you tell them you're lying about it. That is a horrible April Fool's joke. Horrible. I mean, they go into it. They expand on what they hate. (laughs) It's just horrible. It's a horrible joke. And here's the bigger issue. Right now, if you Google Milwaukee monstrosity, and you're like, I wonder what the latest is with the Zelensky house. Guess what? Guess what the top uh, result is? Buyer of Milwaukee monstrosity to raise, build, updated replica of former house. People are going to look it up. They're going to get their hopes up. That's the thing. You got your hopes up that that ugly thing is going to be torn down and something more reasonable will be rebuilt in its place. People are going to click on that story. They're going to get their hopes up. They're going to read and going to... Not everybody's going to be as savvy as me, Kyle. Not everybody's as savvy as I am. I would recommend this. Once you get past that very excitable headline, that very... Oh, all right. Just look at the author, the reporter of this column is named Sylvie Hardy-Har. That's when you knew April Fool's. I was partly taken. They got me partly, just like 20, 30, 25-30%. That's it. However, Shane Zweck, if you are listening, if anybody knows Shane Zweck, if you live in the area of the Milwaukee monstrosity, when you meet Mr. Zweck, You may want to just put the idea in his mind to level the thing and build something reasonable again. And then, and then, you know what? Watch Dan Bice, 
Who's the... Um, is it Tom Dakin? Is it Tom Dakin at the Journal Sentinel who writes about uh, development? But Dan Bice has been writing about Tony Zielinski's former house. When Bice says this is going to happen, it's going to happen. So... Keep an eye on the byline, as they like to say. And if it says, by Dan Bice, then you know you got something. If it says, by Sylvie Hardy-Har-Har, you have been had. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Dexter says, we set a guy up many years ago about our company starting to test everyone for drugs. Two months in advance. First, let me just interject. If you're going to go to that length to set somebody up on an April Fool's joke, good on you. I mean, that that takes two months in advance. Well, but uh, we set him up saying that everybody in the company is going to be uh, drug tested. So two months. So they're going at February. So in February, you're plotting and planning. We had specimen bottles and the last four uh, digits of our social security numbers written on the bottles. The day of the supposed uh, uh, taking of the samples, he panicked and went out at lunch and bought a a, um, a big box of herbal tea and emptied the entire box into a single bottle of water and drank it. Come the 1st of April, he got called into the office and told it was a prank. He cussed us up and down the entire day. We all had a good laugh. Okay, Now, that is that is good. I mean, if you are going to set up an April Fool's joke by plotting in February, that's mm, my hat's off to you on that. I was trying to think. I, I've never, I've always wanted to be part of a good April Fool's joke. You know what April Fool's joke, I don't know why this sticks with me, but I... I remember I was in kindergarten, hmm, kindergarten class, right? And one of the eighth graders, we had K to eight in our building. One of the eighth graders came into our kindergarten class and told our teacher that she had like all, all four of her tires were flat or something like that. And she goes running out into the park, like stopped everything and goes running out of the parking lot. And of course, the the the, wheel, the the tires were not flat. That that is, I don't know why that sticks with me, but because I was so young, and just the visual of seeing her run out is still memorable to me. But other than that, I'm I'm not easily gotten when it comes to pranks or tricks or being scared or something like that. I'm I'm not an easy guy to get. I'm usually kind of like keep my head on a swivel. I'm always you know looking to when I go across the middle. I'm always. <laughs> Ready to take a pop. Um, no. But I don't know. If anybody has a good one, you could. We've got a couple minutes here. 855 616 1620. And oftentimes, oftentimes, the April Fool's joke that goes wrong, April Fool's joke goes wrong, that is more entertaining. Dare I say, that is more memorable than the April Fool's joke that goes wrong. What, according to plan? According to Hoyle, right? But like I said, yeah, we, we didn't do anything here. It's, it's kind of frowned upon. Now, somebody did say, what about back in the day 
What about the Reitman and Miller Cabbage Patch kids at County Stadium? Was that an April Fool's joke, or was that just FM radio hijinks? Not sure. I don't know. Um, hmm. There are moments. There are moments like that. I, I don't know. Bob and Gene could get away with it. I don't know what we could get away with here at WTMJ. Uh, 855-616-1620. Uh, we don't have a lot of time before the bottom of the hour, but uh, it's April 2nd, but we can reflect on yesterday. April Fool's jokes. And if they went wrong, that's even better. Because the joke that goes wrong, or the joke that's turned on you, the joker becomes the jokey. Those will get particular bonus points. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, we have just a couple of moments here before the news. All right, Shelly, I've got like 90 seconds, so give me your April Fool's fools. <laughs> when I was young, mm-hmm. a local radio station that catered to teen music said if you wanted a $5 bill, you should contact them, which I did. And then I ended up getting a $5 bill for entertainment, like I should pay them in the mail. Oh, a bill. 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 Yes. <laughs> but then they did say, if you really want the $5 bill, you know, send this in, which I did. But I thought, oh, okay. I originally thought it was going to be a $5 monetary reward for listening to the station. And so, yeah, it was April Fool's. What was the station? Yeah, was it a local station? Was it? it well, it, it, it would have been uh, Walkie or one of the ones that played teen music. Oh, back in the know? day. So we're talking a long time ago. Bob Barry playing Bobby. tricks on you, huh? You know, <laughs> I don't know. But maybe. they did get me, <laughs> and they must have probably got a lot of other people too. But it was fun. Thank you, Shelley. Yeah, I'm trying to differentiate between an April Fool's joke and a prank because some of you have texted in things that happen in like college or school or something like that, and it, it, it a prank a prank can be an April Fool's joke, but is every April not every prank is an April Fool's joke, but. April Fool's jokes can be pranks? I don't know. I guess maybe we have to define this thing. This Reitman and Miller thing, I guess, was um, around Christmas time, pre-Christmas homage to the WKRP turkey drop episode. Okay. So that wasn't an April Fool's joke, necessarily. Fair enough. Well, look, if you haven't done one, you have a year now to decide. Somebody said that Steve Steve Scafidi... Uh, let's see. So he said, Steve made it clear he does not respect April Fool's jokes. Okay, everybody. We have 364 days to plan a really, really good April Fool's joke on Steve's graffiti. Let's get to work. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A couple people texted in saying, Scott, where is that audio of the Cleveland Indians post-game host yelling, ranting, raving with that post-game show caller? I, um, it's, it's out there. It's everywhere. You probably, if you haven't seen it on Twitter, just Google, I don't know, Cleveland Indians post-game or Cleveland Indians post-game host and, uh, you'll be, you'll find it. It's out there. Just use the internet. It's amazing what the internet can do for good instead of evil. Okay. Matt Gates 
uh, congressman from Florida. The big news this week is that the Justice Department uh, had opened an investigation into him and whether or not he had a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old, including one in which he paid for her to travel with him. It violates. It would violate federal sex trafficking laws. It was an investigation opened by the Justice Department under Bill Barr prior, okay? Latest yesterday, um, CNN reports that uh, Gates had reportedly shown nude photos of women to lawmakers and bragged about his sexual exploits while on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, no less. Now, the two are not connected. They're not reporting that the photos he showed colleagues and others were of this supposed 17-year-old. No, which I guess is good. I don't know. Bottom line is we're learning things right now, at least accusations about Matt Gates that do not paint him in all that good a light. Whatever you think of him politically, you may go, Scott, I haven't had him in a good light in a long time. Others of you go, my God, I love that guy. He's a fighter for Trump. He's a fighter for what's right. Doesn't matter. These accusations do not put him in a very positive light at the moment. Deshaun Watson is the quarterback of the Houston Texans. And I don't know if you've been following what has unfolded over the last two and a half weeks or so, but he has gone from being, by all accounts, by NFL insiders, Deshaun Watson has gone from being one of the truly, quote-unquote, good guys in the league, not any problem off the field, upstanding NFL athlete in society and whatnot well, and that's how he was described by people who know the sport and know what's happening on the inside, good guys from not good guys, and things like that. Well, now, I think we're up to, what, 19, 20 different massage therapists accusing him of uh, sexual harassment, accusing him of sexual um, you know, improprieties and whatnot. He would go and request that they do more to him than just the massage for which he was paying. And, um, well, you kind of know where that goes. And people in the NFL are shocked by this. People in the NFL are shocked by this. In fact, not only is he, well, in a position where his reputation is almost spotless in the league, if you were to line up everybody, all the quarterbacks, All the NFL players, this guy would be towards the other end of the spectrum in terms of he's never done anything wrong. Never. Now, he wants to get out of Houston, but that's only, it's a football-related issue. He's not a bad guy, is how his reputation has been built so far. Matt Gates, Politically, you like him. Politically, you don't like him. He's probably very polarizing, but I think there are some... Republicans who are doing a, a double take when they're learning about these accusations against Matt Gates, and this isn't the first time, right, that we have had individuals who we look at and we see on uh, cable news, on an NFL Sunday, 
or wherever, public figures I'm talking, and go, man, that's just a good person. Ellen DeGeneres, right? Ellen, nicest person ever. Well, we've learned some things about Ellen in the last year, year and a half. Not on par with, with, with what Gates or, or um, Deshaun Watson have been accused of. Although, there were suggestions and accusations that she allowed certain things to happen on the set and in her production company by others that were kind of on the same plane. But Ellen, right? Is she really all that nice? That is one of the great lessons of the Me Too era. I don't have to list all the names, do I? I can't believe so-and-so. Can, did you hear that that guy, even him, is being accused, has admitted to doing something? It is another reminder, and this is what Matt Gates this week, it is another reminder. Matt Gates and Deshaun Watson have this in common, in that they both symbolize what I have said for a long, long time, in that we don't know anything about public figures. We don't know these men, or women for that matter. We do not know them. We think we do. We watch their shows. We root for their team. We follow them on social media. We only know of Matt Gates. We only know of Deshaun Watson and all the others. We only know of them what they allow us to know of them. We only become familiar with who these people are, these celebrities, based on what they give us, what they show us, what they allow us to know of them. I once heard this said, and I've never forgotten it. And this goes, look, this goes for everyone. Maybe there are people in your life who are not celebrities. Who Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's somebody at church. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody at school. And there has been something that has happened, and you sit back and go, holy cow. I had no idea. I never would have guessed that that person was doing that. Whether it's an accusation, whether it's a mission, whether it's something. But you have that wow moment. I've known them for X number of years. I've known them since college. I can't believe they would do that. We don't know these people. We don't. Obviously, your close family and friends, you know better than anybody. But don't forget, don't forget that in the end, there's always something we don't know. It was put this way once that I heard, and I, I've never forgotten it. We, you and I, celebrities, non-celebrities, the rich and famous, and the common folk. There are three dimensions to our lives. We have a public life. Okay. The public life is the one that you put forth for those who don't know you. Your public life is what you have on Facebook, right? Or your Instagram account or Twitter or your TikTok videos. Whatever social media platform you use, it's your public life. 
It's the one you publicize to strangers or the one that is out there for strangers to consume of you. There's our public life. Then there's our personal life, our personal life, family, uh, friends, things that we we don't publicize, right? We don't publicize it because we want to have that that wall. We we want to have that uh, th- th- that barrier because it's 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 none of the public's business who our family is, who our friends are. Everybody needs that, right? It doesn't matter if you're famous or it's just something, you know, in your own life. Public life, personal life, and there's a third. There's a private life. You have your public life, your personal life, and your private life. And your private life, your private life includes those things that only you know. There's a good chance even your closest friends don't know. There's a good chance even members of your family don't know about you. Maybe, maybe just like a spouse or your immediate family, if even that. I once heard it put that way, and I've never forgotten it, especially when we hear of these celebrities. Oh, man, they're so great on TV. They're so charismatic. We don't know lickety-split about them. We don't. And how many times do we have to be reminded of that? How many times are we going to allow ourselves to be so susceptible to go, oh, gosh darn it, they've got me again. Man, I thought Ellen was just the nicest person ever. Remember when Rosie O'Donnell was uh, deemed the queen of nice? Was that on People magazine like 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. We don't know anything about these people. We don't know anything about celebrities. So pump the brakes when we're out there and lauding praise on who these people are. That's why I do not. I do not subscribe to the athletes are my heroes mantra, for example. Or, or Hollywood actors and actresses are my idols and my heroes because we don't know these people. We only know what they allow us to know. They only allow us into their public lives. And based on social media, maybe certain facets of their personal lives. But everyone, celebrities, you and me, we all have our private lives. And when a little slice of one's private life finds daylight and you learn about a certain individual's private life, you may not like what you learn. So that's the lesson. That's the takeaway this week. The reminder. And we're going to have another reminder of this lesson, I'm sure, by the end of the month. There'll be another person or two or three that get into trouble, and we go, whoa, did not ever imagine that so-and-so could have done this, that, and the other thing. I never thought they had it in their character. Well, I'm sure there are some people who felt that of Matt Gates. I know there are people who felt that of Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. So moving forward... Shame on us. I'm sorry. Shame on me. Shame on you. If we find ourselves in another gullible position to laud praise, call somebody a hero, call somebody an idol of ours, when we really don't know who that person is. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
Jeff is out. Scott Waterson for him. He'll be back Monday. Yeah, look, you don't have to list all the names, but somebody said, is, is Bill Cosby not a prime example of this? We had no idea. America's dad, right? America's dad, Bill Cosby. Hmm? Now, some of you are taking a little bit of offense, going, wait a minute, I'm, I'm not... I'm not doing these things in my quote-unquote private life. And I'm not, I'm not saying we've all done something that warrants criminal charges or lawsuits in our private life. So I said public life, personal life, and private life. I just mean that there's that third facet of all of our lives that is deeply, see, uh, uh, a pers- deeply well, private, <laughs> maybe secret to us or to those who are the most close to us, right? That's all I'm saying. And for some people, like we're learning in a lot of these celebrities, that private dimension of their lives, they're holding on to some very disturbing actions. Okay, a lighter note here. Uh, People have been uh, sprinkling in some good April Fool's uh, jokes since we missed it yesterday with the baseball game. Don emails in years ago. His birthday, by the way, is April 1st. How about that? Oh, would that be good or bad if your birthday's on April 1st? I don't know. i got to think about that. Years ago, my wife was taking a graduate course, and her teacher's uh, name was Dr. Fox. I called the school where my wife was and left a message with the office for my wife to call Dr. Fox as soon as possible. Okay, so leave us. Of course, the number I left was that of the Milwaukee County Zoo for my wife to call. Now, this was before cell phones, so she kept calling the number from the office. And every time she called it, she got the Milwaukee County Zoo and was asking for Dr. Fox. Until somebody in the office reminded her of the date. He says, needless to say, supper that night was not necessarily the best. Okay, there you go. Birthday on April Fool's. I'm sure you're, I'm, like Don, I'm, I'm sure your mom... Dad got plenty of jokes over the years. Hey, I had a baby today. Ha <laughs> ha, good one. No, I didn't. I really did. All right. Hey, coming up in just a few minutes, we'll get an update from what's happening in Washington, D.C. And uh, coming up after the 2 o'clock newscast, we're going to help out Mike Spaulding. He's, he's, uh, he's going to be experiencing something. I don't know if it's today or this weekend, but we need to help him out. Okay, well, some uh, more sobering news out of Washington. Uh, the uh, news now is that one of those two Capitol Police officers that were hit by this vehicle that uh, tried to ram the Capitol has indeed died. So the attacker is dead. One of the two officers injured has uh, been killed as well. And uh, reports are this is also not terror-related. That's also always one of the boxes that we have to check. We'll get the very latest here in about 90 seconds. Mike Spaulding will get you uh, caught in what is unfolding this afternoon right outside the U.S. Capitol. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Two o'clock hour on the Friday. Jeff is back on Monday. All right. Um, how many of you have watched Jeopardy? Of course you have. How many times? Hundreds of times. We're learning a little bit. Aaron Rodgers takes over on Monday. He begins his two-week stretch on Monday. And he gave an interview to somebody, I don't know who, and uh, talked about the experience. Apparently, they were underestimating him, or he felt underestimated, and it turned out as if he, he says here, he says, the first day was a practice session. Rogers could tell right away they weren't ready for me. 
I know they didn't expect what I was about to bring, but I was just so prepared. I was so ready. So we get into the first game, the first run-through. There's 30 questions in a Jeopardy round, and after the first 15 questions, we go to break. They say in your earpiece, take it to break. So I take it to break. Then there was a pause, and I think everyone was like, whoa, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's what he's doing here. What were they expecting, like the dumb jock to show up and not know how to show up? One of the head producers said as much. She was like, I'm just so appreciative of your approach. Now, listen to this. Now, this is a tease. Rogers quickly discovered that, and I've never heard this before, so you tell me if you've known this. As the host, he could see on his podium monitor what the contestants write for their final Jeopardy questions. Did you know that was a thing? I had no idea that was a thing. Rogers could not reveal too much, but he teased what he believes will be a viral moment from the first episode. Did you know that, in essence, Alex Trebek, all these years, could see on a monitor there behind his little podium what the contestants are writing? I thought he plays along with us. I think it's kind of Im- implied a little bit, because I've heard many times when when he was hosting, him saying, okay, you, contestant, you were really struggling, or you just got your answer in at the at the last second, something like that, to, mm. to that extent. And he can't he can't literally know that by being 25, whatever it is, feet away from what they're writing down. He, he has to have some sort of access to that. I never I never knew that. I apologize. I, um, but So here's the tease. A viral moment from the first episode. He says, Rogers, Monday, just wait until you see the first show and what the returning champion wrote. And then think about me standing at the podium watching... And this will make sense when you see what he wrote. And I'm watching him write this down, Rogers said. For about 25 seconds, I'm watching him write this, and he thinks about the answer and says, blanket, basically, I'm going to write this answer, which probably is one of the viral moments of my two weeks in his response, which is taking a shot at something that happened to us late in the season. Oh, ho, ho. Oh, okay. So it's clearly a situation where the guy didn't know the right answer. So I'm going to make a little moment here and just say something witty, funny, and hmm, take a shot at the Packers. All right, fair enough. All right, that that is interesting. It'll start on Monday, two weeks starting on Monday. Have you watched any? Well, you've been here late the last. But have you seen of any uh, Doctor Oz the last couple of weeks? No, I have mostly just because I have no interest in Doctor Oz. But I watched almost all of the Ken Jennings. Um, I watched a little bit of the Katie Couric, and that was pretty dry. Um, I don't know. I feel like the the job doesn't change that that much. I mean, there is certain aneurysms or certain um, uh, just vocal things that people have for themselves. I mean, Alex Trebek had one. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I think one of the other special hosts was the executive producer. Yeah, um, and who had also hosted game shows before, so we had a little bit of. Uh of experience doing it. Dr. Oz is a little bit too slick for me. I've found him to be off-putting. Um, just, uh, uh, no, no. I just, and I don't think he's going to get the job. They're just kind of, you know, putting right. celebrity. I mean, Rogers yeah. isn't going to be it. Although, if he doesn't become a quarterback anymore, he could use a job. But All right, Aaron Rodgers, watch Monday night, I guess, because there's a viral moment. That comes at the end. And I had no idea that the host of Jeopardy sees the answers that the contestants put down as they're putting it down. Final Jeopardy. Had no clue that was a thing. Okay. Uh, Mike Spaulding is still here. And we're going to help Mike out with something. 
I don't have a lot of experience in it. Kyle doesn't have a lot of experience in it. But Mike Spaulding, real quickly, we'll take the break. But tell people, you are buying a vehicle. You're buying a car, what, today? In the process. Or you're in the process. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe tomorrow. Could be tomorrow. Could be Monday. Not Sunday. In the not so no, not Sunday. In it's, the near future, we are in the market. Let's put it that way. We're in the market. Okay. For a vehicle. And you asked me in the office earlier today, when it came to the negotiation, right? The haggling, 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 haggle, 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 haggle. Tomato, tomato. In that give and take, in that back and forth, you asked, you know, what type of negotiator am I and I'm not a good negotiator I don't know that I am because I just I don't have the patience for it I don't have the patience for it I've only had to purchase one vehicle from a dealership in my lifetime otherwise it's been you know uh, second hand or from a from a, a private so I don't have the patience for it I this is the car I want uh, here's the sticker price all right I'll I'll meet you here can you do it yes or no if not all right goodbye I just I, the back and the forth and all that stuff. And you're, what, you were looking for advice? You need a little tips? You, you need some no, help on this? No, I, I was more looking for the just a rationale behind the song and dance. Explain. What do you mean the rationale behind the song just, and dance? So you go to buy a car. Yeah. You know what you want to spend. Right. The dealer knows what they're selling it for. Okay. If you go, I want to buy today, there's more likely the chance that you are going to purchase that car at mm-hmm. the price very near that you, the customer, had wanted to. So why why do you got to check 19 times? That makes me feel... What do you mean check 19 times? You, 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 you say, I want to pay whatever, $300 a month. Then they come back and it's 330 and you're like mm, a little high. Then they go back and check again, and then they come back and oh, it's lower. So it's it's the uh, the, the ritualistic part of mm. the haggling process. I understand negotiating and all those things. It's just okay. wasted. I'm here on a Saturday. You're here on a Saturday. Where <laughs> you make more money if you know you get to the next person after me. Right. Why don't we get there sooner? Well, he's got to check with his manager. I know, but why? You already know. And why does the manager need to come out and see? I, I'm not condemning anyone. I just want to know, Condemn, is there a rationale fine. behind the process of There's a song it? and a dance. 855-616-1620. Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We'll give um, a, phone, a phone preference to people who are in the car sales business or have been uh, car salesmen or women. Doesn't matter. If you have sold cars before... We need you to give us a little insight into the behind the scenes of the back and the forth and the checking when you know you make a pitch and all right, I got to get it cleared with my manager and you come back. Why? Why all of it? Also, look, you may not feel like you need advice, but I think you you should put yourself open to taking uh, it. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll gladly take it. If there are people out there who consider themselves experts, if you consider yourself the haggler of haglers. The negotiator of negotiators when it comes to getting a deal for a car. You consider yourself the aficionado on that song and dance. That is the conversation we want to have. We want to tap into some of that knowledge. I know you're out there. I know many of you have uh, touted maybe to your friends and family, oh, 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 did I get a deal? I always get a good deal when I'm out there. Well, that's what we want to hear. 855-616-1620. On the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to help Mike. 
Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Let's see if we can get Mike a little help here. Um, yeah, I... The negotiation at the car dealership is is an art form. It's a skill. It's a it's a talent. Some people have it. Some don't. I I don't know that I do or don't because I've only had to do it once and I knew what I wanted. I walked in. This is what I want. Just I want to leave with the car and I want to have time left in my afternoon when it's over. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, if you've sold cars before, this would provide a great opportunity for insight. Jimmy in Milwaukee. All right, Jimmy, you, you sold cars for many years, I understand. Jimmy. Whoa, Jimmy. Oh, I hope Jimmy was... Jimmy? Jimmy. I hope Jimmy was better at selling cars than he was calling into the radio program. All right. Let's uh, talk to Charlotte, calling us from New Mexico. All right. Charlotte, hello. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, so I've bought several cars, and I found that the easiest way to do it is to actually negotiate before you even come in. You have all the power. They want you to come in. So you negotiate beforehand. Before you even set foot, it's really fast, really convenient, and you get all of those extras taken off. No window tint, no wheel locks, because you can put those on yourself much cheaper. You mean so you pre-negotiate, what, over the telephone or something? Exactly, and I'll compete against the different places. So I'll call into like five or six different places, and um, I'll say this place uh, negotiated down to you know twenty five thousand. What you mm-hmm. got for me? And I'll come in. I, I like that. Yeah. That's a good idea. I imagine doing it on the. Fo- t- tell me if I'm wrong, Charlotte. Is doing it over the phone? Now you sound like a savvy veteran doing it, but doing it over the phone can be maybe a little bit less intimidating than doing it face-to-face in the office on their territory, right? Exactly, yeah. And the reason why I do it is just because, you know, they want me to come in. So uh, getting my foot to the door is their number one priority. And so right now, I hold all the power. Once I go into their office, they hold all the power. Charlotte, let me ask you, though, how long does the phone negotiation take? Because my issue isn't the negotiation, it's the it's everything else that goes with it. The time spent doing the things where we're not talking, where I'm sitting in the office waiting for an imaginary computer thing to run imaginary numbers, and then you come out back again. Not nearly as long, I would say. So uh, I, the first time I ever bought a car, it was a lot longer. I was there for like probably four hours. Yeah. This whole process, like... Maybe I'm spending four hours, but I'm calling all the different places, and that's including me buying the car. Wow, what's the best? What's the best negotiation you've ever had? I mean, how many, or I should say, how much money did you knock off based on your quality of negotiating for a car? About twelve thousand dollars off of a Mazda three. Uh, that's like practically free. You could have bought another <laughs> car. <laughs> <laughs> for the money you saved. Wow. Yeah. Nice. I need to hire you and negotiate for me the next time I'm buying a vehicle or, I don't know, have a radio contract or something like that one day. Charlotte, you're going to be my agent. Thanks, Charlotte. Appreciate it very much. Wow. $12,000. That's impressive. Um, Texter uh, Jim and Cedarburg, deal on the price of the vehicle. Never negotiate by monthly payments. Now, it sounded like, based on your example, that's what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole thing, right? Well, it's... But, right, but he's saying negotiate on the overall cost rather than on the 
month by month and never use dealership loans. They add 2 to 3%. Use yeah, a correct. credit union, you'll save mm-hmm. money. Correct on that Okay, one. All right. yep. just making sure. Uh, we got a couple of minutes yet. Marcus and Bill, hang on the line. Uh, if you'd like to help Mike out. I know you're saying you're not asking for advice, but I don't know. I'm open to it. That Charlotte, I might give her a call later and have her come with me this weekend. <laughs> Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, let's uh, see if Bill in Whitewater, who has uh, many years uh, experience of selling cars. Hello, Bill. How are you? Uh, how are you, Scott? I'm many time caller. I'm using an alias just for the information I'm going to provide. Ooh, all, all right. right. That's so all right. That means we're going to get some yeah. good stuff from you. Okay, Bill, uh, I'm just going to let you and Mike talk because I think Mike has some questions for you. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. What do you want to know? Let's go. What uh, What do you What do you do between offering the first price and you getting to the third price? Like, what is that process when you go into the back room? I've always been curious. Okay, well, the, the, the back room is uh, theoretically the finance office. What you're really doing is uh, many of your salespeople, which are, are more or less customer service now, a lot of people don't believe that, but it's really true. And a lot of salespeople really aren't good at math. Even salespeople I've known for 20 years, they just can't do the math of it. So what's happening there is uh, through the process is the financing. As your texter mentioned, never, ever, ever negotiate on payments. Especially if you get your own money from your own bank, well, the payment's the payment. So, uh, but what's going on there typically if you're financing through the dealership is they're trying to guess at what kind of rate and term you're going to get, and then they let the banks battle it out. Uh, I work for a company that's very honest. They never call in deals before you have a deal, but they're just sort of guessing. Um, so that's what they're doing, whether they get 75 months or 60 months, and that changes the math of it. Um, so that's typically what's happening. They're, they're, they're typically, I, I, I've been selling cars 35 years and we have a very bad reputation. Um, but there really isn't a lot of games yet played. It just comes down to mathematics. And as a buyer, uh, the, the, the easiest way to do it for somebody with good credit, you take $20 per thousand for 60 months financed on the amount financed. So that is an easy way. If you have good credit, if you have excellent, you're probably 18. If, if your credit's not so good, maybe 25 bucks a thousand. But the best way to do it is to figure the math out in your head first. So if you're buying a $20,000 car and you're putting no money down, then, then, you know, you can be roughly 40 or 390 a month, 400 to 390 a month for 60 months. It's that easy. And, uh, so that's, that's the biggest thing in the negotiating. All right, Bill. Hey, before I hand you back off to Scott, as a salesman, you obviously, if you could sell eight cars in a day, you'd prefer that over doing one car a day, I'd assume. So while I'm sitting in the dealer, scowling behind my mask as you go back and forth five times, do you as the salesman also like just hate the process of going back and forth? Do you enjoy that process? It just seems like it's a lot of time taken to, to do that part of it. It is, and I see both sides of it. I'm actually, now I, I just buy cars. I've been doing it so long, I simply buy cars. That's all I do. And I'll spend three, four weeks to buy one car. So when it goes back to the uh, the retail end of it and it shoots out of the store with a $300 profit on a four hundred or a $40,000 car, it doesn't make my pay real good, you know. So I see both sides, but it, it is. And today's business, it really is a volume business. Uh, you know, 25 years ago, I used to make a ton of money on the cars, but now it's all the, the little bit they make in finance, the little bit they make in service, the little bit of factory incentive you make. But, uh, but it's, I always tell customers it's, it's like buying a house too. It's your second largest purchase you're going to make. 
And it's very difficult to, even if your deal is made on the phone, to walk into a store and walk out 30 minutes later with a with a new car. It's it's very difficult. It does take some time. Okay, Bill. I've got less than a minute here, Bill. And you sound like a reputable guy, good, good, upstanding car salesman. What one piece of advice would you give us, uh, the the lay men, the lay women out there, walk in to buy a car? What should we look for to make sure we're not getting hosed? Is there a tell? Well, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, what I would say is to make sure is have your car kind of figured out before you get there. Mm. The the best deal everybody gets is when they buy the car that fits their budget and fits their needs, because that's where a lot of things go sideways. There's there's good makes, there's good models in all of them. I'm driving a Volvo right now. Uh, I probably gave up the lamp. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, you just got to buy the right car. Mm-hmm. Know what you want yeah. going in. The more you know going into the negotiation, the less likely you are to be taken advantage of. Bill, thank you and appreciate the knowledge, okay? Thank you, buddy. There he goes. There you have it. The one th- and the annoyance that I do have is when you walk onto the lot and suddenly you're swarmed. And this this goes with a lot of other places, not just car dealerships. Whenever I think usually whenever the sales force is paid based on commission, mm-hmm. you, you walk on, suddenly you got four or five men and women coming at you trying to, hey, buddy, do you, just give me some space. I'll come find you when I'm ready to close the deal. I know you're working on commission. I will find you. Just give me some space. Let me find what I need to find. Okay, Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew. They'll settle in next and we'll get a preview.